Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Quincy Jones is the birth name for a legendary music producer from Seattle, and also the stage name for a 32-year-old stand-up comedian who moved from Seattle to Los Angeles to pursue his comedy dreams. One year, comedian Quincy Jones performed on 1,000 different shows. In August 2015, Jones was diagnosed with terminal cancer and given one more year to live. But he's determined to burn the light on that diagnosis and already has achieved one major dream, his own stand-up special. Funded by an immensely popular Kickstarter campaign, it got the attention of Ellen DeGeneres, who helped him get the attention of HBO. I sat down with Quincy in the HBO offices in New York City on the eve of his special's debut for a very inspiring chat about what we can all do with our time on Earth. So let's get to it! So, Quincy Jones, uh, thanks for doing my podcast, Last Things First. So, uh, let me start by asking you this. Do you prefer an opening joke or bit that's really hard hitting, or do you prefer something that's lighter and lets <laughs> your audiences kind of ease into the ease it, into the thing? It depends on the audience. It depends on uh, on that. Uh, I usually go off what the energy of the audience is. If it's an early show at a club, mm-hmm. you know they're probably they're a little more ready. You know they're there to laugh. They got plans afterwards. So the first joke has to hit faster. If they're late show, they're a little drunk or might not be a big good turnout, so then we're a little more relaxed, you know? I can do, usually my goal is to, like, have a joke, a laugh within the first 10 to 30 seconds. Well, we're going to test it out right now. Okay. Because HBO has, we're in HBO's offices uh, where you're promoting your HBO special. Yes, yes. And they provided sandwiches. Uh So it got me thinking, have you thought about what your last meal is going to (laughs) be? My last meal probably be salmon. Salmon and potatoes. <laughs> there you go. I got them. I got them right there. You heard. You heard the Sweet. laugh. I know that. Yeah, that would uh, salmon. I'd, I'd want something light. Okay. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, with this the cancer sentence that you have, uh-huh. uh, it's not like a prison death sentence where there's a, a certain time, so you, you can't eat salmon every day. Right. Or you no. could. I mean, you could, you I could mean, choose that'd to... Be a, that'd be a very safe lifestyle to go. It's clean fish. <laughs> um, the thing is, is like they gave me the prognosis of a year. I'm going to live past a year, you know, but I do have this looming over my head that eventually the fluid will come. Eventually what I'm doing right now to maintain my body won't work forever. So whatever, like, what, I mean, I didn't know when I was going to die before, so I don't know when I'm going to die now, but it just, it puts in perspective that I could die. Which right. is what sometimes we don't live our lives like. We don't always live our lives like, oh, I could die. You get in your car, you think you're gonna, you know, you think you get in the train, anything can happen. You know? Right. Well, I, I do have in my notes for your special called Burning the Light that you don't actually burn the light in your special. You right. come in under an hour. Right. That's true. But the title is, is not a reference to that. It's more to burning the light right. in life metaphorically. Right. Metaphorically. I mean, because as as a comedian, I mean you guys are listening to a comics podcast so you should know this but the phrase is burning the light and that's where every comic has a set amount of time uh on the stage and then you know you get the light the light means wrap it up you have a minute or sometimes you get a two minute light 
and that's when you that's when your time to wrap up your joke, get mm-hmm. off, get up, get off on a laugh. And so when they gave me the prognosis, that to me symbolizes a light, and I plan on going further than that. So that's why it's called burning the light. Did you have a rep for that on stage, burning the light? When I first started doing comedy, yeah. When I first like when I mean you know, right years ago, but yeah. Well, the interesting thing, one of the other interesting things to me is that uh, you haven't been Quincy Jones that long. Seven years. Okay. Seven I years. I only say not that long because when I wrote about your Kickstarter a few months ago, I got some questions from people because the GoFundMe page lists your birth name. Right. And they're like, me, yeah. they're like, who is this GoFundMe going to? Right, right, yeah. I want I mean, my money going to Quincy. Yeah, well, hopefully it went there. <laughs> what, um, what was what was the moment when you decided you needed a a different stage name. I mean, I started out doing comedy underneath the stage name. You want to hear that story? Yeah. When I first started doing comedy, uh ex-girlfriend at the time was like, oh, I heard you telling jokes. I might come down to the club tonight and boo you if you're not funny. <laughs> so I was terrified of that. So I signed up underneath a, a fake name, figured mm-hmm. out if she came. She wouldn't see my, she wouldn't see my name on the list. Uh, but I never thought further enough that, like, well, what if she just came and watched the show anyways and saw me? You know? <laughs> so I didn't think about that. And then years later, we talked. And she's like, dude, I was there. I was there. You were hilarious. And I was like, well, I started this whole facade because of you. I started this whole, this whole moniker because of you. So thank you. And where was that? Seattle, Washington. I started in Seattle, Washington. At the Comedy Underground? Comedy or Underground. Or Comedy okay. Underground. In what year? I say 2006 was the first time I went on stage. Okay. And then I started doing comedy full time. Was it an open mic? Yeah, open mic. Yeah. With uh, Carl Warmanhoven. Yep. Uh, how do you how do you know so much? Are you, are you like <laughs> I'm you, the comics comic? Okay. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, fun fact about me is I lived in Seattle from 1995 to 2001. Really? Yeah. So I were... got my start in an improv group that had Wednesday nights at the Underground. Oh wow. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. yeah. From two, so you were there. Well, no, because I mean, no, because Hedberg won in two thousand four. No, no, he won in um ninety seven. He won in ninety seven. Yeah. So yeah. you were there for that. No, I watched it. Yeah. Wow. People knew the first. People knew the first night of the first prelim. That, that he, was, he that he would. They were like, "It's it's rigged. How are we supposed to compete against this?" <laughs> oh wow. So yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, I love Seattle. Seattle's a great scene. It's an even better scene now than when you were there. Yeah, there's just the underground and giggles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, now there's uh, Laughs Comedy Spot. Now there's Tacoma Comedy Club. Now there, uh, there's there's uh, the Parlor. Parlor in Bellevue is a great one. It's, uh, yeah, there, 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 there are a lot more clubs now. Giggles is closed. Giggles is big. You know, actually, I, I, I just <laughs> wrote a piece uh, just now about a couple of those clubs have closed or are about to close. Mm-hmm. Well, last comedy spots moved from Kirkland to where Giggles used to be. Okay. So that's that's great to actually have a. It's still right there on the right right there University Way. Um, to, there was a Tacoma Comedy Underground that closed. Tacoma Comedy Club's amazing, amazing club. Uh, Parlor Live is beautiful. It's a beautiful club in Bellevue, and then there's a classic Comedy Underground. So. So you were what, like twenty two? I was twenty one when I first went on stage. Yeah. Did you? At what age did you know that comedy was going to be a thing? Growing uh, up, when I when I decided to do it full time seven years ago, 
That's when I was like, I don't want to do anything else. But what about when you were a kid growing up in Seattle? I mean, I remember watching Chris Rock's Bigger and Blacker, Mm. you know, being influenced by that, right? Did you have an original plan, though? No, I never planned to be a comedian. I planned to be a lawyer. Lawyer? Why lawyer? I just, I wanted to be a lawyer. I remember falling. I read, used to read every John Grisham novel. Okay. I used to watch all the legal shows. I, I was going to school. I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I was like, I went through a bad breakup. I was like, nope, I'm going to do comedy full time. Well, so so how far long, did you? It was a month, a month long bender of drinking, you know, that, <laughs> that preceded me deciding to do comedy. But I was getting on stage every night then. So how far did you get with the law school I, I didn't theory. get very far. Okay. I, I just did undergrad and then I was like doing comedy. I was doing comedy through undergrad. So did you go undergrad in Seattle? Yeah. Well, I, I went to I went to Central Washington University and then UW. Okay. Yeah. Took me a while to finish my undergrad, but I finished. <laughs> the interesting thing to me about choosing the name Quincy Jones is that there's another Quincy Jones who started out in Seattle. Right. <laughs> was well, that was that any part of the Actually, thought process? I'll tell you back to the same story when I started. When I signed up, mm-hmm. I initially went just put Q. Okay. And the 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 the, the guy who runs the list mm-hmm. wasn't Carl, it was somebody else. Um, he was like, "Hey, we don't we don't do one we don't do one letters. Mm-hmm. We don't do one letters or, or one name. So what is it? Quentin Quincy." I was like, "Yeah, Quincy." Yeah, well, we don't do one name. So, what's your last name? I was like, he's like, what is it, Jones? Quincy Jones? I was like, yeah, Quincy Jones. He's like, you related to the other guy? I was like, friends of the fam, but yeah, you know. He's like, cool. You're going up. You're going up seven. I was like, dope. He's like, three minutes. Is that cool? And then the guy before me went on stage and he did three minutes about uh, with a song with a fiddle or a banjo. It was like mm-hmm. talking about sticking vegetables up his ass, and it was like. I went up there, and my first joke, everything I had planned to write was done. It was like, so you guys expect me to tell jokes. <laughs> That's what you expect. I'm supposed to tell an elevator story right now. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to go into like, what are you talking about pushing the buttons when people are waiting? Like, I'm supposed to go into that. It's like, come on, we all saw that. We all saw how awkward that felt. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and so that was my first. first. So you kind of set. stumbled into the celebrity. Yeah. Alter ego. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it wasn't like a, a hotel filing under an assumed name. No, 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 it wasn't Bugs like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, it wasn't that. Because, you know, here in New York, the comedy seller often uses some fake names. Really? Yeah. I'm trying to get I'm, I'm trying to get past there. I'm trying to do a few things while I'm in New York, besides your podcast, of course. That would, <laughs> that would knock that off. I'm trying to... Get me to follow you on Twitter. Yeah, follow me on Twitter. Mm. Otherwise, this is not coming out. Uh... <laughs> Uh, LLQJ206, follow me on Twitter. This is on file. He might try and edit it out, but LLQJ206. Uh, I'm going to try and see Hamilton. Okay. Play, and then I'm going to try and get past at the cellar. I think the HBO people should be able to hook you up with at least one of those things. Yeah. HBO. Other than the special, which they've yeah, already other, done. Yeah, which is great. Have you seen the special? I have. What'd you think? I liked it. Yeah? Yeah. You just saying that because I'm here? No. All right. <laughs> I liked how I liked how you circle back a lot to the concept of how difficult it is f- to find true love. Yes. And don't for a lot of that time you don't mention the fact that it's extra hard for you with your diagnosis I mean, it's, it's, to it's, convince somebody. Right. I mean, there's uh, an extra layer of 
trying to find someone my to friend, be your true love. My friend, they have to Michael really Phil. be in in it to win it. I mean, to get your true love, yes. If we're dating, I, if we're dating, it, it's going to come up eventually, but mm-hmm. it doesn't come up immediately. I mean, because you know, like people in and out your life all the time, you know. But if it's something that's sort of going, you know, serious, uh, it's like okay. Then I have to tell them, mm-hmm. like I, I get chemo every three weeks, so I can't just disappear for three to five days and be like, "Hey, what's going on?" So like, where were you, dude? You haven't talked to me. I was like, "Well, funny thing is, I should tell you." So I have to talk about it. I don't have a problem talking about it. But my friend Drew Michael, he's a comic out of here. Yeah, yeah. He, he was like, Chicago. He's like, maybe you should just try and have fun. Just. You know, make it lighthearted, and right. you know, if if you know that way, it's on them, and you, they don't feel like they're pressured to stay. You know, that's interesting advice coming from Drew because I've talked to him a bit, and he likes to explore darker material on stage. He's, he's real. Amazing. He likes to be all about real talk. I mean, it, it is real. It is real. I mean, so. he's a real. He's a real dude. Right. I, I love Drew Michael. He's one of my favorite comics. Drew Michael, Rory Scovel, Nate Bargatze, Dan Soder. I mean, Beth Stelling, everyone. I, I love, I love comedy. I'm a fan of everybody, every every special. So after that, but going back to that first open mic in Seattle, and what did what did you think about the experience? Were you hooked immediately to sign up for the next one? Or yeah. What did you? Yeah, yeah. The, the performing aspect, I, I I wanted it bad. So it, how it did was you, like a drug. It's so like how, a drug to me. So how did you go about doing that in Seattle? Just getting up everywhere, Googling open mic. I mean, internet was just getting created back then. Um, so it was just going to open mics, asking other comics, where else can we get up? Where where, where else can I go? I want to do this again. I want to do more. And going to watch shows, going to watch, you know, comics perform at the clubs and then try and nitpick them. I, I offered, I watched so many comics come through Seattle. I watched Hannibal Burris when he was coming, like when he was, you know, on his, uh, My Name is Hannibal. Right. As, as first album. I remember asking him to take him to lunch to pick his brain. Did he agree to that? Yeah. He's cool. Hamble's great. What did he tell you back then? Do you remember? It wasn't just picking, it wasn't just getting comedy advice like that. It was more so me just hearing like his story. Okay. I, I mean, he hadn't been on every podcast. He he wasn't that, he wasn't as big as he is now. Right. He was still doing clubs. Now he's doing theater. So that should tell you where. So who were you running with regularly to the open mics and performing on shows with? I started out, my class was a little different. There wasn't that many people that started out around me. And there was definitely no one who was working as hard as me to like get up there as much. Uh, the, the class before me mm-hmm. are all celebrities now. Adam Ray, Jeff Dye, Brian Moot, Andrew Slater. Those are the guys before me. And none of those guys are associated with that offshoot that was the People's Republic? No. Uh, no. But yeah, People's Republic, Proc. It's, actually, it's not no longer Proc. Uh, but that I was read, a thing that, yeah. around the time you were starting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that. I was there for that. I used to love that room right there in Capitol Hill, the little house. I love that room. Where did you live in? In Seattle? Uh, I lived all over. Central District, North End, Ballard. Okay. You know? I lived all over, but never to South End. Never to South End. Soto? Yeah, never never there. Um, did you do the competition? I did it. I ended up doing it years later. 
It was a good experience. After you moved or before you moved? I think it was 2013. I did say it was after I moved. Okay. I moved down here. I did it. It was good. Are you glad that you waited until you had moved to come back and do the competition? The competition opened my eyes to a lot of things about comedy that I that I it showed me certain signs. Where I was like, oh, okay. I well, see, uh, for our listeners who aren't fully aware, the, the, Seattle, the, the Seattle comedy competition and the San Francisco comedy competition are different from any other comedy contest that goes on regularly in America. In that, they have two groups who do a full week of preliminary rounds. And then the semifinals is another full week of preliminary rounds each night in a different venue, around not just in the city, around the whole area. And then it's another week long. of finals. It's a month long competition, okay? And there's and, there's, and they're, they're all in venues all over the city, right? But they're never in the city that they say they're in. <laughs> it's not just in Seattle. You're going right. up north to to, to da- Blaine, damn near to do it mm-hmm. in Canada. You're going down. You're going across the water to Gig Harbor, Bremerton. It's like these. That was the aspect where I was like, "What the hell is this that we're going all over the place for?" It's like they have a San Francisco one. It's not ever just based in San Francisco. No, it's all over the Bay and Northern exactly. California. Exactly. And so it's good because it shows what each comic can do in a different room. Mm-hmm. But if you think that you know you're going to make local references, don't. It's not going to work. What else did you learn from that experience about comedy and about yourself in comedy? I, I sort of learned my style of comedy isn't traditional. Okay. I mean, what you guys get for the special is not what you'll see at a club. Like, I'm no. not going to do that hour. That hour was put together in two weeks for HBO. Right. So it's a great hour. It's a great hour. But you're not. it's not what you're going to see when you see me perform around. Right. It's also a very specific hour because of all the right. whirlwind story right. of your past year. What was – because the year the year before you were diagnosed – that was also kind of a whirlwind year for you because you did that whole thousand show. I did a thousand sets in 20, 2013. That was 2013. 2015 was when I found I had cancer. 2014 was when I first had uh, first started going to festivals. Okay. And I went to La- uh, Laughing Skull. I went to uh, Charleston, all over. How did you know that uh, in like 2012, 2013, you were ready to move from Seattle to LA? I moved January 2012. I knew I was ready. What was the moment that kind of told you, okay, I'm I'm done with this, or not that I'm done with this, but I'm ready for the, I, the I, challenge? I visited L.A. Okay. I visited the comedy store, and I was like, yep, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. What was that first experience like? What do you remember specifically about visiting the comedy store for that first time? I remember seeing... Chris D'Elia go up and destroy. And I was like, wow, I want to be here. Mm-hmm. I want to do this. So I moved. I just said, I started making, I saved up all my little financial aid checks <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, and just, and, um, started saving, working. You know, I was living, I moved back home with my mom's to save up money, you know, got a Honda Accord and drove down here, loaded up my car January 13th and drove down here. Were you working any day jobs still at the time? I was doing coffee shop jobs. I was doing coffee shop jobs up until I got diagnosed with, with cancer. Once I, once we found out it was cancer, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess that's one way to know you can quit your day job. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing you got to. <laughs> you got to. That's the one, that's the one, like, the only downside to comedy is everyone has day jobs. 
and you have a night job. Right. So when you have free time, we're like, hey, let's kick it. They're like, we have to work. <laughs> Duh. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, how about Saturday night we'll do something? Right. I'm, I'm like, like, well, I gotta, it's Tuesday night. I want to go out. I want to do something fun. <laughs> uh, what what inspired you to do the whole thousand set challenge? Um, was it was ambition? It the desire to get better, realizing that comedy is a lot like exercising, mm-hmm. and so the repetition will make me stronger. If you're getting up three times a night. That forces you to write more material. Uh-huh. That forces you to perform in different rooms. That forces you to have work ethic and a drive like nobody else, you know? Like, you have to do that. You have to want that. Like, you know, it's a lofty goal, but it's attainable. Now, the unique thing about it is that I didn't have a car. I don't have a car. I was in L.A. doing this with no car, so I was riding You joke about that in the special, that you still... Yeah. No car. Yeah, still no car. We're, we're still waiting to get in a car. <laughs> um... But yeah, that, I mean that, that that's 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 it. How much did did the experience of testing that ambition over a year help fortify you when you got the diagnosis a couple years later? How much did that ambition help me? Because people will react one of two ways when you get. I mean, you love comedy, right? Yeah. How long have you been doing comedy? Well, I stopped performing nine years ago, well, but I've been involved in comedy. 20. I've been involved. Uh, I've been involved either as a performer or as a journalist since I got involved in Seattle in '96. So twenty twenty years in one form. Even though 20? I'm not on stage anymore. I mean, you're still vital to to the game. So it's not. <laughs> doesn't matter if you just perform or not. There's people who write and do what you do, journalists. Right. So it keeps the art form alive. But it's like, for me, it was just to do a special. It was like, I don't, ha- I don't have any kids. And I don't have a dog. I, I was worried more so about legacy. That's where it was. Now, the right. funny thing about legacy is you're never around to see what your legacy is. But I was like, there was no proof that I was here on Earth besides four YouTube clips. I have nothing. So I was like, I have nothing, and I want to leave something. And what do I do? I do comedy. So I want to do a special. Do, now, I could have settled for an album. I didn't want to do an right. album. I want to do a special. That, and it was around the uh, anniversary of Patrice, Patrice's passing. And I was like, I definitely want to do a special now. I definitely want people to, to see. Right. Patrice, I mean, Patrice barely got that... A brilliant special elephant in the room out before he died. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Patrice. Like, I love Patrice. It's like, I know a lot of comments that I really love Patrice. It's like, I was supposed to feature for him at the parlor when he caught the stroke. Oh, wow. He was supposed to be there that weekend. So I love Patrice. So you get the diagnosis and you go from having no, nothing but those four YouTube clips to being chemo and being in the hospital for 45 days? Was 45 it? days is in the hospital, yeah. So you have 45 days to sit with all of this. Well, keep in mind, I'd been in and out the hospital all last year. Like, like right, when, when I, you when thought I, you had celiac. When I thought I had celiac, but I was getting my stomach drained. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was, I was just showing uh, 
the the reporter uh, before you. I was showing them the uh, the pictures mm -hmm. of the fluid and what it looked like and what it was supposed to be and what had happened and all that jazz. I was in and out the hospital all last year. Went to, I went to the hospital 27 times before June. I got the biopsy in June. I was in the hospital, in and out the hospital in Boston, New York, and Jersey. I found out I had cancer in Jersey. I flew home. Then I was in the hospital for 45 days. I get out the hospital. I do two open mics. I get Then I said, I still don't feel well. I go to a different hospital, a better hospital, because I was at the county. I said, I just I said, okay, man, not feeling it. Not feeling it. Turns out I had a heart attack. Wow. They said, I was like, I didn't have a heart attack because I've been in the hospital for 45 days. So it was impossible. They do blood work, all that stuff. I didn't mm -hmm. have a heart attack. They're like, no, you had a heart attack. You have a blood clot the size of a 50-cent piece in the aorta of your heart. They're like, you need to be in blood thinners. I was like, put me in blood thinners. They're like, we can't because you're doing chemo. I was like, so what am I supposed to do to like, keep doing chemo? And so in none of that time, I mean, not only do you not have a stand-up special, but you don't have any time to work on an hour for an album or even well, or had, even or even tighten up a five minute spot for Conan or something I mean, like that. I, I had the I had the jokes. Right, but it, you're but you're off the road for all this time. Oh yeah. I mean but I was writing in the hospital. I go back in my notepad now and look at this joke talking about when people visit you in the hospital. Like <laughs> I, I have jokes about everything. I'm always looking for the humor and things. I'm always looking to, to find the funny. I don't I would love to live here if I could afford it. And then just, like, feel the humor here. This city's funny. Uh, which of your jokes work best on the uh, doctors and nurses? Is there? I have a thing for nurses, so. <laughs> I have a thing, so. I, it was so more... did you have different material for them? Yeah. Yeah, always, always different material for them. Uh, but, you know, talking about, like, it was usually just talking about how bad the doctors were mm -hmm. at, the, at the hospital I was at. Is there anything from that, from that, uh, from that period that, that wound up in the special? I think so. No, no. I haven't watched the final cut, so I don't know. Okay. So I, I wanted to do that, so I, when I want to watch it at Bridgetown next week, <laughs> it's new to me, too. <laughs> so I don't know. I, for, I forgot what okay. actually made the final cut. Um, you know. You got to go soon? No. I just, I just you know, I, I also want to apologize because I know, you know I was in L.A. in – in uh, late January and was introduced to you via email mm -hmm. and we were trying to hook up for an interview then but my schedule got crazy and I couldn't do it right and then a month later you get this Kickstarter I write about the Kickstarter and then that, just, that, that everything, was the plan. everything is everything is has kind of changed in your in your life and career yeah since when I was supposed to talk to you and when I'm actually talking to you. I feel like you're talking to me when you're supposed to talk to me. Like you, you were here now and that's mm -hmm. where we're supposed to be at. You know, like everything happens for a reason. Right. Everything, I have a cancer for a reason. You know, you're not always supposed to understand everything. I would have loved to have met you at Riot LA. We'd had a blast. Uh, but we, we, we met when we, were, when we were supposed to. The traffic was horrible during Riot. Traffic is horrible everywhere. <laughs> I've been in the road enough to tell you that. I've been in Miami. I've been... San Diego, Chicago, New York, everywhere. Traffic's horrible. But this traffic here, mm -hmm. crazy traffic. You know, I've heard some some other interviews you've given, and uh, I'm I'm always impressed with how much uh, inherent wisdom you've retained, either from things you've watched or things you've read. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you can if you can pin down 
what's kind of been the best or 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 most vital piece that's that stuck with you over the last couple of years? It could always get worse. It could always be worse, and you have great problems. Love your problems, and and remember that somebody would love your problems. You know, right? Like whatever problem it is, struggle to pay rent. You got a roof over your head. You know what I'm saying? You know, you, oh, your 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 job messed up in your 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 hours. Some somebody would love to have your job. Oh man, you, schoolwork. Like it's always you, you got to make. Now the thing about life is that balance, consistency, and perspective are the three hardest things to attain and maintain in life. So, if you're always trying to keep aware of those three things, you'll be exactly where you're supposed to be at. That you have to stay humble and hardworking. And hungry, gotta stay hungry. Is it? Would that be the? What would be the first thing you would tell a hungry young comic who wants to pick your brain and take you out for lunch? That would sort of define I made it. (laughs) 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 That happened. Uh, I I would. I would tell them, you know, if you want it bad enough, work, get up as much as possible. Same thing Carlin said. Just get up as much as possible. But then I would say, remember. That for some, comedy is the end point, and then for others, comedy is the conduit for where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to become. So enjoy it, and if you find happiness doing something else, that's okay. If you if you love this, then do it as much as possible. Do whatever makes you happy, man. Do whatever makes you happy. Life is too short to do otherwise. Is comedy the end point or the conduit for you? That's a that's a question I think I ask myself daily. I love performing. I love hanging out. I love writing. I love working a joke. I love sometimes when the joke doesn't land, sort of like poking fun at myself for the joke not landing while while on stage. Sometimes poking fun at the audience. I I would I would consider acting. I don't want to act. I don't mind acting. Mm-hmm. But I would I would consider it for the right part. If it, you know, and I, I would never have to audition. I, I wouldn't want to audition. <laughs> I'll read the part, but I'll never audition. That's passive aggressive murder. I'm not doing that. <laughs> have you ever been to audition? Oh, you did fucking yeah. You did improv. It's like people are all there who look like you for a part, and they're all smiling. And you know that they would slit your throat to get you out of the game. Right. I'm, I can't deal with that. I'm a solo artist, baby. <laughs> I mean, that's what I hear people talk about in comedy scenes, like the bigger cities, like like here. Or, or LA is that's why bringer shows exist because people are so hungry that they'll they'll pay money and just to get stage time. Yeah, I mean, don't get me started on, on that aspect of the game. If you're, if you're a comic, we don't have money, so why are you making it sort of like need an ID to get ID? If we had money, we wouldn't be doing this <laughs> shit, right? We were the same thing. If people could find happiness on their own, I'd be out of a job. You know what I'm saying? Right. If people if people research things a little bit more than they do now, there would be no documentary filmmakers. You know what I'm saying? So realize that everyone, yeah, yeah whatever. I got got passionate about the, the comedy about how comedians don't get paid. It's least respected of the art forms. But another, another podcast for that. Another <laughs> another one for that. All right, we'll talk about it on the next podcast. Then. I'd love to. All right, I look forward to it. <laughs> Thanks, Quince. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First 
was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first.